0: But the whole process of how it was done was just very poor. You know, one of the things I remember was they sent a taxi Mm -hmm. to pick up the child. And when the taxi driver came, we can remember looking for the social worker. No. And there was no social worker. No. It was just a minicab driver.
1: How do you feel now? How Do You Feel Now? is a podcast that brings people together with similar life stories to talk about their shared experiences, their histories, and the way that has impacted on their lives and who they have become today. We're going to have a conversation about how they have or haven't reconciled with their past and how they cope by living with it in their present. This is a safe space for us to share and be vulnerable with each other, having survived to tell the tale, inspired by my memoir, Little Big Man. Today, I will be in conversation with Mike McKenzie. Mike is not only a foster carer, but also a director who has made a short film about a young boy growing up in foster care. We are going to be exploring what it is like as a foster carer, hearing his perspective as well as hearing mine coming from the other side of the fence. This is my first time sitting down with someone who has been on the other side of my care experience. I'm really looking forward to this one. All right. Hey. Firstly, I just want to say, Mike, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on board. Um, So welcome. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, man. And as I was saying, you know, when we initially had that chat, on the phone recently, I thought I was talking to someone who had been through the care system themselves and had come out the other end, and is now a director making films and whatnot. Only to discover that you're an actual foster carer. <laughs> yep, that's correct. Yeah, powerful, powerful. Um, you know, and and that kind of blew me away because, as I was just saying to you, you know, in our little conversation, it, it brought me back to being that little kid again and being on the other side. And, you know, what an exchange for us to have for us to be opposite each other in this way. Do you know what I mean? Um, and what I wanna say before we get into the nuts and bolts of things, you know, episode one was with the lovely, amazing Ronnie Archer Morgan and I have to really big him up. Um, we really, you know, raised the bar on that one. We, we, the, the conversation we had was so deep and meaningful and and, um, healing. We've had a lot of feedback where people have reached back out to say they've been just moved, touched, and inspired. And I have to say this. If you haven't read Ronnie's book, you have to read his book. Um, It's called Would It Surprise You to Know? And I tell you, I was blown away when I read his book. So, guys, would it surprise you to know Ronnie Archer Morgan? Mike, here we are. Tell me, wow, you're a black man a foster parent um and you foster with your partner tell me what was your journey and, and and what made you do this how did you get in here
0: well um myself and my wife we met a long time ago we've been together mm-hmm. only time i'm, I'm gonna say the time in case don't be, all of
1: time, man. don't be shy big up yourself come on now <laughs>
0: whole
1: heap of time. over 20 years
0: over 20 years so wow. uh, anyway so you know we you see some of these things you don't really think about it at a time right mm-hmm. it's just like afterwards when people ask me like you're asking me now i start mm-hmm. to think about how the hell did that happen you yeah. know uh, but she suggested it to me and um, i said yeah let's do this you know so we had the assessments and then we we fostered, you know we went through a private fostering agency first right uh, and then we went to local authority after that mm-hmm. um, But you know me and my wife we talk and what i realized is that we both had our own personal experiences. Tell me about it. So she talked about her mum. Mm-hmm. She lived in Farnborough. Right. right? So they were a Jamaican family living in Farnborough, and it's a very sort of army base sort of space. Yeah. Uh, mainly white people, and they were a black family living in this space.
1: Yeah. Not so many they black people ago. in
0: Farnborough, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so some time ago, they had to deal with all of that being mm-hmm. the the people that were different. So they had, you know, they had that kind of impact on the community, if you know what I mean. Um, so, but what they saw, or what the mum saw, was a, a black child with a white family whose mm-hmm. hair and skin wasn't really looked after that well. So the mum would look after, you know, just help out that family in terms of looking after that child's scheme of, of skin and hair. So mm-hmm. that's on my wife. She saw her mum do this as a child. So i right. stuck with her. So when she grew up, and then, obviously, she met me. I had a similar experience, but where my I saw my mom and dad looking after, you know, young people, you know, mm-hmm. like uncle and auntie, all that kind of stuff. But right. they were, so, when, so when me and Carol came together, it was, there was no issue. We both had our own experiences. Both wow. had our, our different upbringings, but the same upbringings. And the reason why I, I labor on that, because mm-hmm. a lot of people were, who are couples, and they say, oh, I really want to foster, but my partner doesn't. Mm. So that's made me really appreciate the fact that we've come together and we are very like-minded in that way that we mm-hmm. can say yes um because we've actually got um a uh, we adopted as well mm-hmm. a boy who was he's six months he's now 22 you know so even that sometimes calls i remember it caused um we had a meeting with um social services and cams and they they sort of looked at us a very as us as, as a very funny family because we had our we had a birth child an adoptive child
1: yeah, but then we also had a foster child all in the same house. Wow, yeah. that is um, that is powerful, you know. And I tell you what, just listening to hear you share that, you know, again, you're triggering stuff for me. Being on the other side, um, as a as a you know a kid being fostered, you know, and you know when you're fostered with a family, as you know, nine times out of ten, it's temporary Yeah, it's a it's a temporary. You know what I mean? It's a temporary home. And we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of my own experience and my experiences you know being with foster families, both black and white um, and one of the questions I want to ask yourself, did you just foster black kids or did you foster white kids as well?
0: We have done both, and I've had different I can remember when we first had a white child mm-hmm. that made me nervous I thought <laughs> I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure how that was going to be you know
1: right
0: uh, right um. uh, Yes, what
1: was it like for you as a black foster parent as a black man raising a white child i mean what 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 was the dynamics what did you you and your your wonderful wife did you have to learn what kind of shampoos and whatnot you know to use on the kid
0: well um there was a bit of that for sure um but the the one things that I I laugh at now was that you know if I if I use a slang word like this white this white kid was a roadman. Oh right. right. Oh. <laughs> so how old knew, is he? How old is he? Oh, he was about twelve or thirteen. Right. Wow. He, he knew all about everybody's culture. He wow. had no issues fitting into our family, and we had oh. no issues with him. Well, yeah. and one of the things that I say to to people is that when you have foster children, I really tried to understand. I mm-hmm. can remember one time um I had to get his hair cut, mm-hmm. which I would do with any child, no matter where they're from. Right. Yeah. And I said to him, Where did you get your haircut from? Yeah. Where did you go? So I took him, I drove to the barber shop that he used to go to, that his dad took him to and got his hair cut. That was that was that was a good thing for do to do in hindsight because the, the boy was saying to me, Yeah, I want to get some lines in my hair.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I said to the I said to the barber, I said, Barber, when he used to come in for? do you get lines in his hair? No, his dad would never let it. I said, well, that's, <laughs> he ain't getting no lines in his hair then. Don't try, you know? So, a black
1: barber shop or a white barber shop? It's a white barber shop. Right. And what was that like then for you to be sitting in a white barber shop with white barbers and, you know, getting, you know?
0: Um, I mean, it was fine. It was really about trying to establish, okay, so he'd been here before
1: mm-hmm. and
0: what haircut does he normally have? I wanted to i always try to be respectful of you know what the the children's parents did so the fact that his dad didn't allow him to have stripes in his hair right when the child asked me i said no no ah. if if your dad said you know when he brought you here that you can't have stripes in your hair mm. then that's not happening whilst he with me wow you know. yeah yeah so i you know follow the rules as best i can whatever you know if it's not you know obviously it's, it's got to be yeah, it, it made sense because reality. Someone, if you go to school, they won't allow you to do like, that to you here anyway. You know. What I mean? So,
1: ironically, I wouldn't have thought of that, and I think that's and that, and then that that just shows your experience as well. You know, having been in the game for some time, and knowing how to navigate a child's request, and what I'm hearing is that you've done it in a loving kind of supportive way to let them know like look I'm just trying to do the right thing by you and what your parents would do by you you know with him being twelve you know
0: so it was fine and I think also as well because my my dad was a builder and he ran a business as a builder and mm-hmm. you know I know sometimes he was he was criticized because everybody worked in his company black white Indian he didn't he didn't mind as long as you could do the job he would work so as a child that's what I saw so for me being you know, in that environment, it, it doesn't faze me. And also, as a musician, you know, I play all over the UK. I've been around the world playing in different places. So, I've I've uh, you know, I've learned I've learned to coexist and be myself. And if people don't like me, they don't like me. That's that's their business. But um, you know, I am a, a accepting of it, of everybody until they show me something different.
1: Powerful. I mean, going back on you know what we talked about about. You know, our separate journeys, me being on one side, you being on the other. And my experience for me, being a, a foster kid, there was only one time I was ever fostered with a black family. And in my book, Little Big Man, I talk about them, that family, and the chapter, the heading of that chapter is called the Black Waltons. I don't know if you remember the Waltons, yeah? I remember the Waltons, John and <laughs> Right? And the reason why I refer to them as the Waltons, because, you know, I used to watch that programme, yeah? And, man, I used to kind of just get really soppy and I used to think, wow, this is how a family should be. We should be able to sit round the table, break bread together, if you have any problems, you aired it out and you spoke about it. Do you know what I mean? And we all, you know, was there, you know, you you got the full support of the whole family. So I'm living in this fantasy mind in my head, especially being separated from my brothers and sisters. And, uh, you know, having grown up with a schizophrenic mom who sadly you know, struggled to look after myself and my siblings. We were constantly in and out of children's homes and in the foster system. And what came up for me, especially now speaking with yourself is, I remember when I was first fostered with this black family, I was so taken back that A, they were black, you know, but Mm -hmm. B, my fantasy led me to think, ah, I know. Maybe this is my true authentic family, (laughs) you know? And when it was time to leave, Mike, I I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave. And I I didn't, maybe they had said to me it was temporarily, but that went through one here and came out the other, you know? But when it came to that time to leave, I struggled so much. Um, And I'm going to read an extract from my book, Shortly, um, you know, one of those pages around that. But what I wanted to just relate to yourself and and ask that question: How was it for you being on the other side when kids had to leave your care? How did you manage to detached and and do you know what I mean? You know, how did you cope with that?
0: Well, um, I am almost gonna hear your question and almost ask you a question. Nice. Because- let me, let me let me go first with how do I do with that. Mm, sometimes okay. it's really hard, you know. Um, sometimes some kids that, for, for whatever reason, I, I, let's say if this takes me, I've been off the bond with, and it's just been amazing. You know, mm-hmm. everywhere I go, go to the park, everywhere we go, everywhere. Mm-hmm. I can take them, I'll take them on gigs, you know, if it's in the daytime, all sorts of stuff. Um, and, you know, when those kids leave, I'll shed a tear. My kids will shed a tear. Everybody will be, be crying. My wife, you know, we will be upset. Um, um mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes i has about the length of time as well. You know. Um, but all, all the children we've had that, you know, they all like one of the things we do is we we take pictures. So mm-hmm. I can look around my house and there's a picture of ah and that child. Nice. You know, that's one of the ways of of dealing with with when mm-hmm. people, you know, move on, you know, mm-hmm. to go back to their families, that you can at least see a picture and have a have a memory.
1: Wow. You know. I would love to have had a picture of my foster parents at that time. Um, gosh, you just and you just saying that brings back... But go on, please finish. Yeah, go on.
0: I mean, one of the questions I would ask you, sir, yeah. is if you can remember, because I know we've had situations where we've had children that have said to us, we want to stay. Yes. You know, but... and yes. And they, they want to... You know, the social workers come to take them back to their family and they're saying... No, we yes. really want to stay, yes um yes. and I, I you know they would say they love it here it's really nice, you know, use words like that, but I don't know for you whether you you could expand on that how you felt if you know well, to not, not not to want to go back to your yeah. family
1: I'm gonna read an extract from my book that's gonna answer that question if that's okay with you, yeah, that's fine, um, here we go. They welcomed me with open arms and I dove in. Then I realized everything made sense. I'd been born to the wrong parents at the wrong time in the wrong place. The luck of the draw. As much as I missed Angie and Minnie and Huggy and my mum, this was it, I'd made it. This was where I was supposed to be all along. Night Ma, Night Pa, Night Brothers and Sisters, Good night, Stanley. My dream time with this family, though, was short-lived. It turned out the parents weren't my mother and my father. These weren't my brothers and my sisters. I wasn't their long-lost son. And when social services wanted to place me back with Martha and Ray, I had to face the truth. I begged for them to let me stay, but I was told it had always been temporary until things stabilized. The whole family stood on the doorstep to say goodbye to me. The whole family. Heartbroken, I flung my arms around the mum and the dad with my head sandwiched between them, not wanting to let go, holding on to them for dear life. The pain I felt was immense. Once again, my emotions betrayed me. Overwhelmed, I bawled my eyes out, not letting go of my grip. Alan, my social worker, sat waiting in his VW engine with the engine running. The forms were tipped. I was was returned. I buried that pain so deep, I can't even remember the names of any of the family members to this day. That, my friend, as I was reading it, I was trying to just not get too emotional, you know, because that brought up quite a bit for me. Because I really was so overwhelmed when it was time for me to leave. I really didn't want to go because here's the thing. When you get fostered with a family such as, which I I can hear with yourself too, and you're welcomed, you're settled in, the smell of the house, the food, the colours of the wall, I talk about this as well in that chapter, everything, this all comes into play, you know, and as you said earlier, we were talking about, it's not just the mum and dad. It was the, 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 the kids, their yeah. kids. You know, there was about four or five of them. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I had all these brothers and sisters, you know what I mean? And we yeah. played basketball, we played lots of board games, Connect Four, Dominoes, Cards. So it was everything, everything to me. And I did not want to leave, as you heard me say. I begged you to me stay you
0: know yeah so it, it is it can be very very tricky when you know and one one of the things that we do as well is that we try to do endings for you know children so if it's, if it's a you know a planned ending mm-hmm. organized, like i'll you know we'll get our whole family around and, and stuff like that i mean we had the, the children that we had for three and a half years we had a party for them, you know, and like my my brothers and sisters came around, my wife's brother, you know, everybody came around, grandma right. came, granddad, you know what I mean? So, and I can remember this five year old child. Right, everybody had done a speech, and then the five year old child done a speech, and he we had a, he pretended that it was his birthday.
1: Ah, oh,
0: you know I'm saying, he pretended that it was his birthday to 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 process. yes you said i know it's not my birthday but tomorrow i'm leaving you know i mean like i still remember remember what he said and you know so for me for a five-year-old to process that you know it's it's um you know it's 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 it was deep it was deep you know but uh yeah so you know like i said we've got pictures everywhere and i think you know we talk a lot even like me Doing what I'm doing now, the reason, even all the other stuff I've done around fostering outside of when the children are with us, is me also processing when mm. children leave. You know, because I mm. often question myself, "Michael, why, are you, why are you doing this? You know, what I mean, what is what are you trying to do? You know?" Mm. And um, yeah, so it's it's um, I'm always thinking about that. You know, what I mean, to to keep myself motivated.
1: And you it's, know, what? I am that five year old. You know in that living room you know how, how powerful you know for, i want to say thank you to you as well for doing what you're doing um being on the other side it means so much to hear you know of course you know what any foster parent out there not color no matter what color they're skinning who are who are doing right by kids is powerful but more powerful still as a black foster carer because when i grew up you know when i was being fostered in the 70s they weren't hardly any black families. I was so lucky to found a family that I I did at that time, and that was in Nottingham. Um, So I can totally relate to that that boy, you know, who had managed to switch it around in his head and gone, you know what, I know it's not my birthday, but I'm going to treat it like my birthday so he can get over the trauma himself. As you hear me talk about, I had to, you know, I had to bury my head between my foster parents, they were standing side by side and I buried my head in between them and I had my arms wrapped around their waist. Mm. And for the life of me, I couldn't let go. And, you know, as you said, you have endings for your, for your kids, which I think is fantastic. And I wish I had had endings. Maybe it would have saved me a lot of unnecessary pain because you see, after that chapter, things got dark for me things got dark because a part of my heart just went whoosh and I closed it off because I was so, I just went cold. You know, the world went cold for me after that. Cause when you're shown so much love, especially from a family that you're strangers to, and they welcome you in with so much love to then leave that cocoon, to leave that pod and your, your ass is back out in the cold wind again. You know what I mean? It's
0: powerful. It's it's quite something. And I think, um, like I said, I'm always learning and experiencing things and trying to understand because about maybe two months ago, we had um, two young people and they probably stayed with us for about seven days. And after five days, one of them, the older child, said he would like to stay. Mm -hmm. And I kind of blew my mind Mm -hmm. a little because it was only after five days that that child said that. You know, and I thought, I said, "Whoa, he's a, he's already been yeah in that long." Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was a bit. I mean, that was a bit mind blowing, you know. It after, after five days, he's asking if he could stay.
1: Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can relate to that because, again, as I talk about in my books, up until that point, um, I was. I remember I was fostered with this. Um, you know i have to say lovely white family he was a i remember the the gentleman was a fireman mm. and um it was out in the sticks somewhere in in in, in london and the suburbs you know and the gentleman and his wife tried to do the best they could by me and my sisters and i remember as soon as we walked into the house the smells were different so i didn't feel um as much as they were trying to do their best by me but i I resisted it, my sisters resisted it. We resisted the you know what I mean the smell the the the, the decor it, everything was so alien, even though we had been in children's homes up until that point. but the difference is being in a children 's homes where it's it's much bigger and you've got other kids running around. this was now condensed, so here we are now in a in a different cocoon and having to deal with a different culture and I remember one time the wife broke down because she was trying to manage my sister's hair and she was struggling. Like, how do I, what do I do with this hair? She just didn't know what to do to the point she cried out of frustration and that stayed with me. You know, um, we got moved, um, because, um, um, things happened with, with some racist slurs with some of the kids and I got, you know, I, um, the, the 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 rebel in me basically just went okay. to yeah. and we did. And then before you know it, we were moving, <laughs> you know, but yeah. just going by what you said, when you described that young, that young man after five days, he innately knew he wanted to stay. And I can definitely second that the moment I walked through a door when I was fostered, I knew straight away on the first day, whether I want you to stay in this home or not, right Right from the get-go, you know. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's hard to explain. There's an energy. It's like being a dog. You know, when dogs sniff up on you and whatnot, they can sniff out who to come, rest their head in their lap. And You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true, true, true. And same with little kids. They'll <clears throat> come into your arms if they feel safe with you, you know? So it was the same for me, and I'm sure it's the same for other foster foster kids. As soon as you walk through the door, you know, you know. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think one one of the things I wanted to say as well, because you mentioned about, you know, us being a black family and that, is that from the out, outside, when you look at us, there's no, you can think, oh, that's a family. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to when we had that, that white child, mm-hmm. people might look, who's that, who's that man with that child, you know? But one of the things I've had to, to be aware of is that, you know, black people come from all over the world. Yeah. Sometimes we would have children who are black, but a different culture. Yeah. Like we've had black children who are, are Muslim. Hmm. Okay. This is the first for me. Yeah. I can, I can remember going to Sainsbury's and trying to find the aisle that you know had mm-hmm. foods that I could that I could get. You know. And uh, obviously I could ask the children what they liked and they would tell me. Um. But sometimes even what they would tell me would conflict with what they're supposed to eat. You know, or what they would eat at home. You know, so there's a lot of um things that we would have to consider. You know, we've had we've had you know, I can remember we had children that were from a part of Africa mm-hmm. and you know, us being a Jamaica family, and, and suddenly the the the, the boys talking Petua, you know, like they're from Jamaica. You know what I mean? So it's, it's all of these things to to um you know, they immerse themselves into how we spoke and, and, and everything. Um but we also have to be aware of okay, what is their culture? Yeah. yeah okay all right so they do this and they do this and they do this yeah. and you know i can remember having to take people to you know kids to a, a saturday school that dealt with their language mm. and and stuff like that so they could keep up with their culture oh that's powerful because, because they weren't with their family so we would take them somewhere or i would find television programs that kept the identity of their culture so they could see you know because I, what i don't want them is to lose their identity just because they're with a jamaican family now so you know I mean? they can experience funny. it experience it yes but not you know let them let them keep hold of of who and what they are you know
1: that's very thoughtful of you guys i mean again you know no wonder the the the, the young kid wanted to stay after five days because what i'm hearing is that you and your wife and your kids you know power to you all you know had the thought right to kind of you know think these things through and you know, be sensitive to their needs, you know. Um, and uh, you know, as he was talking about food and whatnot, it brought up a memory of when I was fostered with another white family in Stoke Newington. Um, uh, I remember it was the middle of the night, my mum had an episode, bless her, myself and my siblings were 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 carted away, and the the, the bright blue bus come to pick us up, you know. And anyway. We've gone to one of the children's zones, Forest Road in Hackney, and, and it was full. So they said, well, look, um, unfortunately, we're going to have to just take my two sisters, and but they, there's no room for me. And yeah. Imagine, middle of the night, my sisters are taken off the bus. I'm looking at them. They're looking at me. We have no words, but we're silently, almost telepathically saying goodbye to each other, right? Because I can see through their face and my face that the... We've never been split up before up until that point. Now I'm by myself in this bus, weaving through the streets of Hackney. We've gone to another children's zone, therefore, Mathias Road. Then the driver has a conversation with one of the staff members, and, and then I, you know, next thing you know, I'm at the town hall, Stoke Newington Town Hall. So imagine this middle of the night, big imposing building, right? Them time there, we used to watch the TV program. What, what it called Dracula or whatever, or, or um, what is it? Oh, is it not Dracula? The Adams yeah, family. Yeah, yeah. With Women, hand. yeah, with that man, with that man. Hand, and remember, they lived in that big, big castle. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. So, and, and then when the the program started, you had this you know, like thunder and lightning. So, for this little kid in the back of this man, I'm pulling up. To this, the town hall is dark, and all I can see is just the Adams family <laughs> in my head. Poor yeah. Molly and Bill were standing outside in their dressing gowns, ready to take me in at the last minute, the drop of a hat. Whoa. And they've taken me in. And as they've taken me in, um, it turns out that Molly and Bill, well, Bill is the doorman for for the town hall. He wears the top hat and the tails. He's the one that opens the door and whatnot. And they live at the top floor of the town hall. So I've gone up there now. And I remember it was the first time I'd been split up from my brother, my um, my sister. My brother was born there, and I beg your pardon. So unbeknownst to me, I was actually heartbroken, but didn't understand what heartbroken entails, if you know what I mean. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. You know, I couldn't. All I would do is just bar. Every single day I would bore my eyes out. And I talk about this in the book. Anyway, long story short, Bill and Molly would say, it's all right, son. It's all right. What's your favorite food? What would you like to eat? They're trying to pacify me. So I'm like, um, beans on toast <laughs> because as I'm thinking beans on toast, all I can think about is me and my sister eating beans on toast together, right? Yeah, yeah. And they say, all right, son, it's okay, it's okay. They said, uh, what do you like to watch? What's your favourite programme, son? What's your favourite programme? And I'm like, uh, Starsky and Hutch." Okay. <laughs> right, and I'm bawling my eyes out again. And anything I turn to, it just wasn't working. Um so you kind of just reminded me of that when you were sharing you know um about the the, the foods and whatnot that, the the efforts you would go through to make sure that these kids were settled and and that their needs were met you know and and that's powerful that's powerful you know any kid in the position that i was in and and the kids that they are that's what we long for you know and i want to quickly mention about your 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 film called belonging We've got to yeah. pick you up on that. Um, when I heard the title Belonging, because what my book talks about is the universal story of the desire for love, belonging, and family. That's what my book encompasses. Do you know what I mean? It's not necessarily just about being black and whatnot, it's about this universal desire for love, belonging, and family and the journey we go through as foster as kids on the other side in the care system, looking for that love, looking for that lo- belonging, looking for that family. Do you know what I mean? Um, tell me, tell me about your, 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 your film, man.
0: Okay. So the film belonging, um, so earlier in the conversation you sort of asked about how do you cope when mm. you know, children leave, go back to their family. Mm-hmm. Um, the film is part of that process um, but also as well it was born from frustration mm. because we saw how the system was cheating treating us as a family and also how they were treating the children you know and it was i was so frustrated um i remember my wife she she would write letters to local authority mm-hmm. um and you know she would try and create change i think she did get them to change some of their policies and how they would end placements. Cause they one of the placements ended really bad. Well, going back to that child who um talked about it was his it was his birthday, pretending that it was his birthday, you know? I mean, because we had him for quite a while, there was there was just so much things that could have went a lot better. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I talk about is if you do an assessment on a child, yeah. please share that information. Yeah. Um, we had a child who, I was literally getting a phone call every day. Come and get the child. Come and get the child from from nurse from nursery. You know, mm. I forget he's only four or five, wow. and we were him up. We we're going to pick him up. And sometimes I'd have to be carrying this kid out of school, kicking and screaming. Wow! But luckily for us, because I, I remember this 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 lovely child even got excluded from nursery one time because he was mashing up the place. Yeah, and I said when I said mashing up the place, he he mashed it up. You wow. might think, how can this two foot human being matched up a place mm. anyway he had an assessment done and then when he went to a nursery luckily for us after about three or four weeks the head started going through all the paperwork and she found an assessment in there which nobody had told her about we didn't even know about it right? Mm. and it's it outlined what the child needed mm. yeah and she implemented what the child needed and the phone calls stopped straight away. So it's one of the things I talk about in you know when I do screenings and do a QA, I talk about teams need to communicate. You know? Mm. But the film was the film was born out of frustration. You know, I can remember being very angry. Um I can remember, you know, the children we had at the time were being, you know, I use a very dramatic word, I I say deported because Mm. they they didn't have British British citizenship. Right. So they were then sent to family abroad. Mm -hmm. But the whole process of how it was done was just very poor. You know, one of the things I remember was they sent a taxi Mm -hmm. to pick up the child. And when the taxi driver came, we can remember looking for the social worker. No. And there was no social worker. No. It was just a minicab driver. And we said, well, we can't put a five-year-old child in your car. Absolutely. Yeah, that's not going to work. So we called the social worker. Hmm. Just put them in the cab no i'm afraid not so not. yeah so my wife got in into the taxi Good. um i followed the mm-hmm. taxi and then we met the, the other siblings at our meeting point and when we turned up at the meeting point we met the other siblings um mm. and the and again that it was pandemonium because suddenly there we were as adults foster carers meeting the social workers we didn't know who these social workers were the Mm. kids didn't know who these social workers were so suddenly well who the hell are you i'm not getting in the car you know so you know lots of screaming and hollering and you know Mm. i mean so then the social workers had to depend on the foster carers who had the relationship with the children
1: Mm.
0: put them in a taxi Mm. they had none and these are the things where i talk about to social workers is that when a placement ends it's traumatic anyway yeah, make it more traumatic by sending strangers. Yeah, you Absolutely. know, you've sent strangers that the children don't know who these people are, mm-hmm. right? The person that's been working with them for the past year or whatever it is, they need to they need to come and end with the child properly. So there's stuff like that 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 winds me up and and irritating. It happens, it happens too many times. Too and you many know, times.
1: Can, just to interject on that, you know, from my own experience, one of the biggest gripes and, and and that that added to my rage for, for the system, yeah? Not even anger, but rage for the system. There's nothing worse when you, you get given multiple social workers, one after the other. They drop out like flies. One minute I'm with this person, next thing you know, someone else is turning up saying, oh, well, we've taken over now. And you say, well, what happened to such-and-such? Oh, such-and-such has now moved on to a different department. And for me as a kid, yeah. this might sound whatever, whatever, but for me as a kid, part of me is like, so what? They couldn't even come and say goodbye to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean I know that might sound a bit of fast fetch for some, but yeah. being a kid on the other side, I'm like, hold on a minute. You've been seeing me for how many months or whatever it is? You know, I've been in your care or under your jurisdiction or however you want to put it and you're telling me you can just move on without feeling the need to come say to me i'm just coming to say that we won't be working together anymore and i'd be moving on that added to my further abandonment issues later on in life because you feel as a kid on the other side you just feel like you're being abandoned again and again and again you know so this is this is what i mean because like exactly what you
0: said there you know if you if you plan it well okay it mm-hmm. might be that you can't make the last meeting because you're on a holiday or or mm-hmm. you have got to, go to court that day there could be lots of reasons why a social worker can't attend yeah But please end properly arrange another appointment so they could the child understands why yeah. you're not there on that specific day absolutely otherwise they end up thinking exactly what you said they, they don't care about me you yeah. know and that's you left with because they there was no discussion. So those yeah. are the things I get upset about and I challenge people honestly look, you know, let's can we not end this properly rather than just, oh, I'll get this so oh Johnny Johnny's gonna come and pick him up. So eh?
1: And you know, you know it what happens me to hear that my God after even all these years, you know, because my my um, as I as I mentioned it was when I was fostered and, and whatnot in that the care system. This was in the seventies and the eighties. So I'm like I can't believe I'm hearing it, that you're experiencing that as a foster carer in this present day, and they still haven't managed to fix up to yes. even have, you know, proper constructive, healthy endings with a child. Because what you picked on just now is so um, prominent and, and really definitely needs to be addressed, because I'm going to tell you something. That added fuel to the fire of my drug use. That added fuel to the fire of my crime when I was out there. That added fuel to the fire, to my rage that I just took out on society because I just felt abandoned time and time again. And I'm going to tell you something. Um, When I finally turned my life around, yeah, and uh, I found recovery, so to speak, you know, i never forget, I walked into this place and there was this big, long wooden table, shiny, long wooden table, with some people sitting around it who were in recovery and sorting their lives out. But you know what? I wasn't intimidated by the people. I wasn't intimidated by the room. I was intimidated by the table because I would grown up all these years, sat around the table, with people making decisions about my life and I was powerless to have a say about it. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. Do you know what I mean? A table. Do you know what I mean? And you know, what 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 I guess the people in the system need to understand that that little care and attention for a child to A be informed. At every given opportunity, what's happening with that child needs to take place at all times, yeah. so yeah. that they're in the know. Don't care how small they are, you know.
0: Yeah, it's it's and you know that is that is what I talk about, and you know I try to be balanced with my 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 thoughts because I know that I've worked with some amazing teams of social workers, teachers, head teachers, mm-hmm. um, designated teachers, the court guardian you know lots of different people that actually work together and communicate and it's amazing you know because you just know what's going on we know what's going on so, as foster carers so we don't get have anxiety about the situation the child knows what's going on you know and and the communication is tight but but you know too many times it's 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 not and it just causes stress but what's the,
1: so what's the synopsis of your film of, that you've made now so the
0: film that i've made called belonging is i actually use it as much as i can to show to social workers so I, you know sometimes i'll get booked to to screen it with social workers or nice. to teachers foster carers and what i'm just getting them to think about is that in in the moment when you're making decisions about a child to be clear in your mind as to why you're making that decision and who mm. is it who's the benefit does it benefit the child? Does it benefit the organisation? Does it benefit your manager? Mm-hmm. You out of bed the wrong side today, you know, mm-hmm. just to, to have a think about that. And also as well, who do you need to share this information with? Yeah. So um, the story so, follows a young... Yeah, you follow a, young boy. a young, young boy. You see a young boy who, um, this is all using actors. Mm-hmm. You see a young boy who, you know, you see him with his foster carer, you see him with his social worker, you see him at school. You see him at church. See him in different environments, right? You know, even religion. You know that comes up a lot in foster care. Of course, it's it's um, different. People have different experiences of religion, and you know how, how is that catered for when you are moving around? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? um, so that's what that's what the film sort of charts. The young boy sort of communicating, and you sort of see him, you know, grow, and you know have a different experience. Nice. You know, so people seem to connect with it. You know, so even though I've done it from a foster carer's point of view,
1: yeah. um,
0: you know, we've really tried to to you know get people to see it from the child's perspective.
1: And, and I all... think I was
0: quite Go lucky. Because when when I came up with the idea of making a film, you know, I found a producer to work with me. I found a scriptwriter to write mm-hmm. me a script. You know, then got a whole camera crew. Did a crowdfunding, got some money, you know. Um, and because I sort of did the nuts and bolts of it over the Christmas period, I managed to, you know, I can remember my the star of the film is my nephew. You wow. know, yeah. I was I remember reading the script and thinking, I need a nine-year-old boy. Man, I don't know a nine-year-old <laughs> boy. And I swear to God, right? The doorbell rang, and my brother and my nephew was at the door, and I'm looking at him thinking,
1: Look at that, the universe, serendipity.
0: Yeah, I said to him, him, have you ever considered acting? He goes, no, but, you know, I'll give it a go. And that was it. I gave him the script, and within two weeks, he knew the script inside out. He knew it better than me.
1: Brilliant. Brilliant.
0: Brilliant. Yeah. On my WhatsApp group, I was saying, has anybody got a house? Has anybody got a school that I could rent? I literally was calling in favors, you know, Um, and my Niece is in the film. You know, there's, there's one of my friend's son is in. The, you know this. Well, you know.
1: know, as I said before, you know, as a as an actor, you know, yeah. I work as an actor. Yeah. So when you sent me the link um, for the the trailer of the film, and yeah. um, one of the first things most of us actors do, we we look on the cast. We yeah. want to know who's in the movie, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and all I can see, blah blah Mackenzie. Blah, blah, Mackenzie. Blah, blah, Mackenzies. So I'm like, weird. The man having more family in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, <laughs> yeah, is everyone. fantastic, by the way. You know, and power to you that you've, you've you know, you've managed to draw on the resources of you and your family and giving them their, you know, letting them be a part of this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I can't, you know, even like now, with the mm. screening, all that I'm doing
0: on social media, I've got, I'm lucky I've got my my brother who works with me, phones me every day to ask me what we're doing next with the film. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then I got my good friend from school, Dennis, you mm-hmm. know, we were in nursery together, so he's on board, you know, his daughter's on, you know, my wife, everybody's like, yeah. you know, they they, 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 if I, even like, if I feel like, you know, my, my motivation is, is low today, I know, I know somebody in my circle is going to pick me up. tonight. So please keep going. Even, okay, last year, maybe two years ago, mm-hmm. I was talking to a friend of mine um, who is care experienced, and she said to me, um, I said to her, oh, I don't know, I think I might stop screening the film. She goes, No, don't do that. She goes, How many people are in the UK? I said, Millions. She goes, Have you all seen it? I said, No. She goes, Keep screening the film.
1: You know, right. you know, know. kind of lift up again to, you know, keep and screening I to, the- And I have to big you up there, Mike McKenzie. Mike McKenzie, the foster carer. Mike McKenzie, the writer, because you wrote this as well, is that right? No, I did not, know. I I worked with a script writer to So Mike McKenzie worked with the script writer to get this done, but you was proactive in getting it done, yeah? Mike McKenzie, the director. Yep. You directed this as well. And where can we find this film?
0: Yeah, I think, I don't know, I mean, there might be a point where I let the film go, but it hasn't reached yet. So I'm very protective of, of the film belonging. And basically, what I do is I organize screenings once a month. I
1: see. That's fair like, enough.
0: So the next screening is on the 30th of November, next Wednesday. Where's that going to be? It'll be online. So basically, before the pandemic, mm-hmm. I would hire cinemas, mm-hmm. and show the film, and do a QA. So that's, that's what we done. Wow. Um, and then, but probably when the pandemic came, we then went. Um, online, and we'll be doing that sort of once a month, uh, so after November, then I think the next one is not Christmas, it's going to be in January, and <laughs> I, I, I invite people to be, um, you know, uh, a guest on the show, so you you may well find you get a call to yeah.
1: say you- I'd be more than happy to be a guest, and I look forward to seeing the whole film, because, um, you know, when I watch the trailer, and I'm not just saying this because you're here, you know, having a chat with me. But the first thing that jumped out to me was the perspective of the young boy. And yeah. just the trailer alone, I can see that, oh, you know, this is... I, I love watching films where it's from the child's perspective because it allows us as the adults to get in touch with their thoughts and their feelings and not assume what we think they might be feeling or, or, or going through it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But it made me as I watched the trailer when we reached the end, I wanted to watch the movie. I wanted to see the whole film, you know, because I want to know what happened with this kid, do you know? Yeah. as I know, the title of my book is called Little Big Man. Yes. And, you know, focusing on my early life and seeing your nephew playing that role, again, touched something for me as Little Big Man back in them days, do you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So no, yeah, it's, 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 an,
0: it's an important story. And what I'm also learning is that because it's online now, I, I met, I met somebody from Massachusetts, two weeks ago. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's watched a film and we've had a conversation. You know, this, this is a global thing you know, yeah. the, the distance doesn't seem to change how people are working with, with young people in, in care. Mm. Um, you know, so we we had a common language, and and you know, so she wants to try and work with me, and I'm trying to work with her to see how we can make it make it happen. Um, mm. you know, so I think it's um, that's good. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to make more films at the moment because I've got like scripts written for the next uh instalment, if I use that word. Mm. Um, so I'm in that stage of uh, I did do a pitch, I did a pitch to some producers earlier this year, uh, twice. I've done a pitch twice this year, so I'm still still uh, gathering momentum.
1: Good. good for you, good for you, you know, because, um, you know, honestly, what you, your wife and your family have done over the years, you know, reaching out to, to kids like myself to provide a home for them, to nurture them, you know, um, to help them to overcome their traumas and face their traumas, whether temporary or not, plays a major part, major part, you know, in, in their lives. And, you know, you've now made this film that touches on your experience and that you can draw the eyes of the audience to this child and and, and help them to see things from his perspective, I think that's really powerful that you've come this full circle, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) That you're touched by your experience. You've now made a a film about it, you know. Um, For me, being on the other side, as a grown man now, coming up 52, (laughs) yeah, and having written this book, my journey over the years when I finally turned my life around has been about healing, you know, finding that healing, especially the inner child, you know, because he was so angry and so raging with the system um, because I felt there wasn't enough in place. There wasn't a lot of support back then for kids like myself and raging, raging against the system and it's left me having to Pick up the pieces. Do you know what I mean? The amount of therapy that I've had, the amount of um, coaching I've done, I've done, on all, I've been on all various kinds of different courses, and do you know what I mean? To to to, to learn how to basically to, to redress the balance, so to yeah. speak, because you can't just you know when you go through stuff like that, you can't just go right, okay, I'm gonna get on with my life now, and everything's a okay, and and act like Nothing never happened. Mm. Just, just, ain't because it's gonna come out one way or another, yeah. And now for me, I've had to learn how to parent that inner child. I've had to learn how to be a father to that inner child, to little Stanley. Do you know what I mean? I've got to learn. I've had to learn how to, you know, get his needs met. But more importantly, I've I'm had to learn how to listen to him. Do you know what I mean? And so when I saw your trailer, I was touched by that. The child's perspective because I felt like it was tapping into my own inner child and the journey I had been through and and what I'm now doing to redress the balance over the years with myself, you know? And like, I have a is- nine-year-old son and I'm a father myself today now. Uh-huh. And I can, thank God, pass on to him some of the healthy stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And because of the work I've done on myself over the years you know, and and talking to my inner child and being there for my inner child, I can pass it on to my own son now. Do you know what I mean? And and, and make sure that he doesn't have to go through any um, feelings of abandonment, feelings of um, not being able to have a voice, not being able to be heard and share what's going on for him. And we have some amazing conversations, you know, that I would have loved to have had with an adult when I was his age, you
0: know. I think it's it's um, what you talked about there in terms of healing. Mm. I think it's something that everybody should do. Yeah. yeah. I think for myself, i i had a I had one of the jobs I did was working in a pupil referral unit. Mm. This is these are schools where children are asked to leave mainstream school. They ask them politely, "Please don't come back." There. so i worked i worked in a school like that for 15 years but well, one of the, the, the boss about, let's say 20 years because I'm, I'm still there um right. one of the things that the boss said to everybody that worked there is that you had to go and study at post-grad level um a counseling and guidance course
1: brilliant
0: i remember thinking oh i'm training to be a counselor it mm-hmm. was nothing to, it basically what the course was was that you had to really think about your upbringing yeah. and really dig deep into who you are and what you react to and understand you know um and, and and be able to reflect i remember i had to write i had to write a journal you know and and, mm-hmm. and about my um upbringing and the stuff i was going through and that and the reason why they want you to do that course so that when you walked into that school you know the children come with their energy and if you're not careful you can get consumed by that energy and start yeah, reacting yeah. to stuff based on your own personal experiences. Yeah, get triggered. So, yeah. Get trigger thank you. So now I've done that course, but it doesn't mean that I don't get triggered because I do. Mm. I definitely get triggered. Mm-hmm. Um but because of the, the, the that training I had, it helps me to think, Oh, hang about you're getting triggered, Mike McKenzie. Calm yeah. down. Mm-hmm. Calm down. Mm-hmm. Bye, What's <laughs> going on here? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's you know, it I sometimes I say it saved my life that job, you know. It's it's um because you know, it's. I just think it's. It's things were happening to me which I never understood. Because yeah. I did this course, I've started on the journey to try and understand. Okay, that's because when I used to work with my dad, we used to do this, that, and X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. You know, so I got yeah. a bit of an understanding, so I I can manoeuvre a bit better. You know, and I can
1: and I can relate to that because um, years later, I ended up training as a counsellor myself. Here I am now, uh. A, a, um, i'm a therapist right but i'm an addictions counselor right oh. and the way that came about was um, a friend of mine was running a treatment facility within pentaville prison a prison i've been in myself right and i was working as an actor they'd see me on tv on these and i came home because back in them days, there was no mobile and all that. You used to come home and you press the answer machine, remember, and you go, B- you have 17 messages, <laughs> right? And then one of the messages, because everyone's like, yeah, I see you on these days. Oh, my God, big up, big up. I only had a few lines, right? I played a small part. But people were like, because I'm from the manor, everyone's proud, and I'm turning my life around and seeing me doing great things. So everyone's championing me on. And one of the messages was from a friend of mine, flowers, John, bless him. Um, and he said, hey, we'd love for you to come into the prison and have a chat with the boys. You know what I mean? So we had a, we, I talked to him on the phone. I said, what do you want me to talk about? I said, Let's share about your life, you know, and who you are and your journey. And, and I did. So I went in and volunteered for the first, what, a good year, two years, before he said, hey, I, I want to take you for breakfast one morning before we start. And I mm-hmm. said, sure, and um, went for breakfast. And he said to me, I think you make a great counsellor. And I'm like, but I'm an actor. And he's like, well, we're just putting it on the table. We want to offer you a scholarship, you know. Okay. And I was like, okay. And I thought about it and I thought, you know what? What have I got to lose? I can go back to acting anytime. So I did the scholarship. And like yourself, when I went on to this, um, um this uh, addictions counseling course, right, which basically it was psychodynamic based. And um, for those who are listening and wondering what psychodynamic yeah, dynamic takes you right back to your yeah. early years. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like the, what Freud believes, which is by going back, you can understand who you are as the person in your present day. And when I went on this course, here I am thinking I'm going to be training how to be a counselor and be there, everybody. But as you said, it was all about me. I had to get in touch with some of my darkest sides I had to get in touch with my own journey, being especially being in the same prison that I was about to work in. So can you imagine? Yeah. I, wow. And I and I was also when I was on work placement, I was in work placement in Pentleville, right? So here I am walking into this prison that I'd been in how many years ago, being given keys. Uh-huh. I've got the, the officers called what they call screws calling me, sir. Some of them are recognized. Right, and they, but they don't recognize me because I changed. Yeah, wow. Well, so well. it was cathartic in many ways. But just going back to what you were saying about the work on self, when you do do these counselling courses, it you know that's where the therapy begins because you're forced to look at yourself because you can't help others unless you've looked at your own stuff first. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Each one teach one, so to speak. You know. And I had a fantastic facilitator um, and bless her. And she was a no bars held short little woman who had trained in America and gone through, do you know what I mean? Some amazing um, training out there um, and came back and was passing it on to us. So we felt privileged and honored to have her as our facilitator and and, you know, I stayed in that arena for a few years before I decided to move back on to, to acting. But picking back up for what you said, I learned so much about self. And and I'll end on this. The journey continues. The journey continues. It's a bit like the onion layer. You know, you have this onion, right? If I peel back the skin of this onion, one thin skin at a time, it's going to take me forever before I get to the core. True. And that's like the work we do and the work that you're talking about. It means the journey continues. We just began it. But I still haven't reached my core after what, being 28 years in recovery, 28 years looking at myself. And it's not about me even reaching the core. It's about the journey, you know. Mike, it is an absolute pleasure to have you in conversation with myself. Do you know what I mean? Um, This has been phenomenal and priceless to hear you as a foster carer. And, you know, for us to have this exchange, I feel like I've had a conversation with my black foster carers way back then, and I'm hearing things from their perspective. So thank you, you know?
0: Yep. I could talk to you for a lot longer, my friend. So, you know, I think thank you for, Um, bringing me onto your journey, but just so you know, you are on
1: my journey also. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Um, brother. Thank you. And, and I would say, how do you feel now? Um, I feel good, I
0: feel energized. I think I have now, uh, got another comrade. Mm. um, Yes, both of you. And, um, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm learning all the time, and I think. The, the, these are the conversations that foster carers need to have. Mm. You know, social workers need to have to talk as much as possible, so they understand what that child is thinking. Yeah. You know, we're just we're just guessing. Yes, sometimes we're lucky enough we say the right things, and the and the child will share with us how they're they're feeling. But sometimes that doesn't happen. Yeah, you know, yeah. They're, they're they're locked into the moment of how they're feeling. You know, mm. uh, Just to yeah. help. Understand. So I know it's definitely helping me, you know, just to just to be more more care, you know, to be pushy at the right time when I see things are not working well for the child to speak, try and speak to the right person to yeah open the child. You know. So that's how I'm feeling at the moment, you know. Thank you, yeah. Mike. And energy, that's a powerful
1: energy to keep going. Energy to keep going, you know. Absolutely, you know, definitely we're going to keep in touch. I can see that, hundred percent. Do you know what I mean? And I'm coming to the next screening. I'm going to be there. And you know what? Powerful having a conversation with you about this. And honestly, nothing but an attitude of gratitude um, um, to be in your presence. And thank you for taking the time to have this conversation. This has been How Do You Feel Now? with me, Stanley J. Brown. How Do You Feel Now? is a production by Jacaranda Books, publishers of my recently released memoir, Little Big Man and is available in all major bookstores and online platforms where you can get your podcasts.